crayons and coloring pages for anybody who, uh, who desires them. Uh, adults, have at it. Um, write your sermon notes in crayon. That's cool. Um, let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles. We'll, we'll, we'll be going to various passages, but I'd like to read one uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the wedding passage, as uh, it is, is commonly known. I'm just going to read uh, one verse. We've, we've heard uh, a number of, of Advent meditations, one on faith, one on hope, and today we're going to consider love. And Paul sets these things uh, in order in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read there, and, and, and then we will pray. And I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, where Paul says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come before you on this day and that we can hear your word. We we believe that your son came and took on human flesh and went to the cross to take our sins upon himself, that, that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not be separated from you eternally. We're born separated from you, but we are able to come back into relationship with you by your work. You are the one who sent your son to die for our sins and to make a way for us to be unified with you again. And we thank you for that. We believe that your son, when he rose again, he rose for our very life. That that the life that's in us, that that gives us eternal life, is is the indestructible life that, that he has risen from the dead with. We believe that we have peace with God because of your son. We also believe that Jesus commanded his servants his friends, to write letters and books so that we might know the words of truth, that we might have a light in the darkness, that that when, when culturally things get dark and difficult to understand, we can turn and we can see your word and we can read the very words which you want us to know for ourselves. And so we believe when we read that faith, hope and love abide, and that the greatest of these is love, that we are hearing your very words as if you were speaking them to us right now. Father, as we come to Christmas, expectations are high, and uh, the words of your preacher's Sometimes don't measure up. They can fail to deliver. You, for some reason, choose to work through earthen vessels. And so I pray as we try to summarize everything and wrap it all up, I pray that you would speak now, that we would hear, that we would be changed, and that we would understand who we are in Christ. We would understand what the good news about Jesus is. We would understand why love is the greatest. We would understand that we have 
a mission and that we would go and we would live it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've considered faith, hope, and love. And we believe, as the scripture says, that the greatest of these is love. Faith says yes when God speaks. Faith looks to God and embraces who he is to us in the present. Faith hears the words of God and says, yes, that is true. It believes what is said, it believes what is granted, is given, and true in the present moment, and it differs from hope. Hope is also an act of worship, a spiritual act of worship. It looks to God and understands, it worships based on who God will be to us in the future. It, it believes what God says will be ours and believes that it will be ours at some future time. We, we rejoice in the hope of future resurrection, of reward, of eternal life, of peace and unity with God one day in eternity. Faith believes what God says is true of us in the present. Hope expects in the future. But love is different from the two. Hope embraces truth in the present. Hope expects the truth to be fulfilled in the future. But love the greatest of the three, love acts. Love acts. Faith believes, hope expects, but love acts. What is the, the driving force behind so many of our actions? What is it that is the, the basis of a million horrible pop songs? What is it that, that, that sets uh, authors to write novels? What is it that, that causes people to make movies? What causes people to, to uh, begin to hoard massive collections of rare things, whether they're stamps or cigars or, or beetles or cars or whatever they are? What is it so often from, from the, the inception of creation... That, that defining moment that begins some massive endeavor, what is at the heart there? There is love. Humans have a universal need to feel loved. What is it that we ultimately need? Politically speaking, opinions are many, but asking the wise what humans need, these are people that I respect. I'm not going to like say several wise theologians or quote anybody. Uh, my friends say what humans need, and I agree with them, and that's part of the reason why they're my friends. They say that we want to feel safe. We want to belong. We want a place at the table. We want to know and experience love. This is at the core of our being. Every single human being craves it. And they act either out of a desire to be loved by others or a desire to love others. Love, in, 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 a, in a attempting to drive at a definition that doesn't use the word love, which is actually very difficult for a lot of people, uh, love in a, in a full sense longs for togetherness. It longs for community. It, it is satisfied with the loved one, and it acts for their good. Okay? That's, that's three parts there in, in a definition of love, which doesn't use the word love. Um, 
Love longs for togetherness. It longs for community. That's one. Second, it's satisfied with the loved one. And third, it acts for the loved one's good. And so we may hit a point in our lives where we hear the Christmas story, where we, where we hear that God sent his son to be a, to be a blessing. And because of, of whether relationships in the past or because of our own sense of our own sinfulness or because of our, our, our awareness of, of things that we've done, we think, I don't. I don't belong there. I'm not experiencing that. Or that's, that's, not, that's not my story. That's not my place. It's someone else's story. We feel our own inner brokenness and we, we realize that we have a great need. And I think we're, we're experiencing inside the reality of Ephesians chapter 2, which says that we're dead in trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Deep in our souls somewhere, there is this realization that all is not right in the world and that if we are going to be loved, we are going to have to go out there and grab it or discover it or, or find it, that, that, that we're separated from true love somehow for some reason. But there is good news in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, God being rich in mercy. God is rich. I don't know about you, but I have my, my mind in, in anxious moments has wandered to the riches of God and, and the resources at his disposal and thought about how to have his resources would cure all of my problems. You ever think that? Yeah. It just kind of like pushes its way into your brain, right? You're like, you're signing a check and you think, man, if I could just write G-O-D, right? I could just keep writing. Just pay everything off. Be great. Endless resources. But that's not the way God is described in the scriptures as, as rich in wealth, although he is. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It doesn't say all kinds of things. The focus here is, is on when we look at sinful, separated, fallen humanity, it says God being rich in mercy. And then it goes on to say, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Jesus enters into time. He, he existed before creation, but he enters into our time, into this world and takes on human flesh. So he has no beginning as God, but he has a beginning as man. And he enters into the world on Christmas, taking on human flesh, that he might become a living soul, have an indestructible life. He goes to the cross for the sins of humanity, but the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the grave could not hold him. He had an indestructible life, and so he rises from the dead, and we who put our faith and trust in him have his life. In the song, It Is Well With My Soul, we see a line that I think, man, this is so Christmas. 
Christ has regarded my sinful estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Ephesians 2.4 speaks about the love of God and says that he is rich and mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive with Christ. The Bible says that we love, that we are to love, that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Someone had to make the first move and, and the Bible says that we're fallen and broken and we can do no right apart from God. But God seeing us in our sinful estate and seeing uh, where what, what we had done to ourselves, how we'd separated us ourselves from him, he made the first move. Why? Because someone had to? No. Because his nature is to love. His nature is to love. People say things like, uh, the God of the Old Testament is full of anger and hatred. Not true. God is loving and merciful and kind and he acts consistent with his nature. He loves his creation far too much to allow them to persist in sinful behavior. And so he judges and brings punishment on those who refuse his way. But to all who come to him and say, I desire to do your will, even though I have done wrong, how can I be right with you? He shows love and kindness. We love, why? Because he loved us first. Love ought to overflow in joyous praise. We see this in the book of Psalms. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. There's a, there's a verse. Uh, I made a couple discoveries this year as I've studied the scriptures. And uh, there is a verse in, um, in, in the book of Hosea, uh, chapter Six, verse 6, where God says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. What he wants is, is hearts that say, I want you, God. I love you. And not just us coming before him and saying, oh man, I sinned again. Here's, here's a sacrifice. Here's an offering. Here, please forgive me. What he wants is hearts filled with delight, with joy with constant love and not sacrifice. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And then he says, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So if, you're, if you look at that verse, you'll notice that steadfast love and sacrifice are together, and then knowledge of God and burnt offerings are together, and sacrifices and burnt offerings are the same thing, right? Right. Steadfast love... And the knowledge of God are the same thing. Now, let me, let me drive this home, right? When we see God as he is, when we see him in goodness and beauty and truth, when we consider, when, when the scales of our eyes are removed by the Holy Spirit, or when we hear the word spoken and we say, I believe that, and we behold God as he is, love will grow in us. There's a, there's a power and a joy and, and an ability and a fire and a compassion and a truth in him. And when we see him, we are arrested, right? Like there's, there's something, I've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon, right? But you know what everybody says about the Grand Canyon? They say, when you see it, the first thing you think is that's a picture, 
And then you think, that's real, and you're like paralyzed by it. How can anything be that big? Right? I saw Victoria Falls in Zambia. I've had the same experience. I've been there twice. Victoria Falls is huge. There's just water, more water than you could possibly imagine exists, unless you like do math and consider the ocean a lot. But, but, but more water just rolling over these falls, just flooding over, and I see it, and there's, there's water like coming up from, from, from the point of impact, just flying up, and there's rainbows everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's rainbows, and there's water everywhere in the air, and you just think like, wow, this is incredibly powerful and beautiful and amazing. It rains up there. It's the kind of feeling that, that, you, that you feel when you see a brand new baby and you think that kid's got his entire life in front of him and you think like, I was like that once. Wow. When we see God as he is, we cannot help but be moved. And I believe moved to love. So let's talk about the components of love. The components of love, which I spoke of earlier, are a desire for togetherness or, or the idea of, of union. First, this is, the, this is the affection by which we desire to be joined with the other, right? Um, we, we love, and when we love someone or something, we want to be with them. Hey, let's get coffee. When are we getting together to swap presents? Let's spend time together, right? Just being there, identifying with one another. Union, right? Paul describes his love for God in 2 Corinthians 5.8. He says, we desire to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. By the way, this is God's desire for his people as well. In the book of Revelation, it says, as the the, uh, heavenly Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, we hear a loud voice proclaim, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. How did the Bible begin? With the creation of, of the man and the woman and God dwelling with them in the garden. And it ends with a city coming down where God will dwell with his people. This is God's desire to have a people to be with and to enjoy. Think about what Jesus did when he came to earth. Did he start a ministry and build a palace and live far and removed, and have like this, this layer of security around him, distant from them? No, he was out among the people. He lived with them, and loved them, and he touched lepers. Why? Because he was motivated by love, and love has a desire in it for union and community. Second, love has in it satisfaction. When we love, we don't constantly tell another, oh, you'd be good if you just did this and this and this and this, right? I want to I wanna swap you out and trade you for another child, spouse, work colleague, whatever. When we love, we say, I accept you as you are, and I'm not going to uh, send you away because of your defects, which I perceive, right? So often, I've found that the things that, that I like the least on the surface are the things that ultimately uh, make that person shine. You know what I mean? The, the, their, their strengths 
complement my weaknesses. And my strengths complement their weakness. And, and together we are satisfied together because, because I supply something and they supply something. Satisfaction is when we approve of all that is in someone and we rest in enjoying them. And satisfaction with God is when we approve of all that is in God and rest in his supreme goodness. In Revelation chapter 7, the church cries out to God, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And notice they don't say, please, more sandwiches or something. They're, they're satisfied. They delight in him. Finally, component of love is goodwill. Uh, William Ames, the theologian, defines it as, as the affection that makes us want to yield wholly to someone. The, the affection that makes us want to yield to God, that, that we want all that God deserves to be given to him. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Goodwill towards God is what, what causes Paul to say, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now think about what we've been given in the gospel. Jesus takes our sins from us. That, that what is separating us from God is removed and now we are at peace with him. And so the presence of God's spirit dwelling in us now means that we have union with him on some level. But we know that one day we will dwell with God in heaven and the union will be complete. There is satisfaction. In, in God, there is everything that we could want or need. And not in the way that a toddler wants it, right? A toddler at, at this time of year will just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat chocolate and cookies and everything until they throw up constantly, right? You know, God keeps things from us that are not good for us. God gives and he restrains and we are satisfied in him. But you know what? God is satisfied with us because of his love. Why? Because he gave us Christ. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he declares that we are righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And that means that there is no defect in us from his perspective. From God's perspective, there is nothing wrong with us if we are in Christ. He doesn't say, oh, I'll finally be satisfied with you when you just get this thing right. No. The reason that we have a hard time imagining that is that most of our human relationships on some level have that push or pull in it. You just change this, everything would be perfect. That's not the way it is with God. Finally, we have a declaration of his goodwill toward us. The Bible promises that all things will work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. All things, all things, all things. Now there's a difference between God's love and our love. Uh, we might equate God who is rich and who possesses all things. We might think of him like some kind of, uh, like a rich man, 
But there's a difference between the rich man and God. The rich miser protects his pile of cash and his wealth because his fortunes may change. And so his love or ability to be beneficial to others might change. But that's not the way God is. God's fortunes will never change. His riches will never dwindle or wear out. And his nature is to be liberal with his love. God is rich in mercy. And so he loves with the great love which is within him. His love flows out of the abundant goodness of his being. This is why and how God can give his only son. We say, we say, I would never give my son for the sins of another. But because God will never experience any lack, and he is always in complete and total control, he is able to give the most precious thing and to give it in a meaningful, wonderful way to us. His love flows out of the abundant goodness of his being. He expects no benefit from us, nor does he need it. Our love, though, responds to benefit. We need it. We crave it. God, be good to me and bless me. And God says, I will. And it's completely right and good for us to come to him and say, Father, this is what I need. Jesus says, go ahead and ask your your." Your father knows what you need before you ask it. Now the lie, this is the lie of Genesis 3 that's at the beginning, says that God is not good. He does not care for you. Christmas says, here is the very best of what the father has. Here is the very essence of heaven in the person of the son. Here is is the path to life. You can have the Holy Spirit. Here is the promise that that all will work out for good. Here is peace with God. Here is payment for sins. Here is a life that can never be destroyed. And consider that the, the, the pinnacle of this, I believe, is that God now says, I will be your friend. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants. This is Jesus speaking. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. God is good and gracious and kind. He expects Nothing, nor does he need anything from us. His, his love is not motivated by our actions. Instead, he just pours out his love. And we, in response, are to, to respond by identifying our need, by saying, yes, I need good from you, and then to work for God's good will. We respond by saying, you're good. You've given me everything that I need, all that I have, all that I could ask for, all that I could hope for has been given to me in Christ. And love then acts. Our our response to, to what God has given to us that we believe in and what we hope for in the future is to respond by loving God. We say, you are good. I love you in in response, not out of fear and not out of fear of punishment, but out of love, I will live your commands. I will work towards your goodwill. Psalm 25, 14 says this, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. 
John 14, 23, Jesus answered uh, him. I think that's Philip. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. A love response to God says, I will run in the way of your commandments. I will live out your will. I will do what you call me to. And I believe that you are going to make your home with me. Faith says, I believe. And hope says, I expect it to be that way. But love says, I will act on what I believe and hope in. 1 John 2, 5 says, Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 1 John 3, 18, John says, Little children, let us love in, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let us act in love. Love is a, love is a motivating force. Belief by faith is a, is a concept. Hope is a concept. It is something that we, that we think and feel, but love acts. And therefore, Paul says the greatest of these is love. Galatians 5, 6 says in Jesus neither, and I don't want to get into a huge religious discussion here, but in, in Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. Love is the, the vehicle by which faith works because we hope we are also able to love. Love is a motivating force. And so believing in faith and hoping in the future, we act in love. We act for God's Good. You might say, but we can't offer God anything. We can't do anything for him. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of our good deeds are like dung. That's what the Bible says. We can't do anything. How can we act for God's good? More about that in just a moment. But, but here are ways in which we act in love. We seek his face. We remember that though God may find us in a place he calls us to follow him, and he keeps on moving, and we are called to seek his face and to follow all of our days, whether it is scary or it involves suffering. We're called to honor his name, and that means to live in a way consistent with his will. We're to keep his commandments. We're to, to honor his word and to live a life of faithful obedience and obedient faith. And then finally, we're to love our neighbors, both in the church and in the world. Let's talk about God's good will, or willing God's good, willing the will of God. The Bible says that faith works through love. Circumcision, uncircumcision, these are religious rituals. Paul says none of these things matter, but only faith working through love. In James 2.26, James says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. 
as a church, as the people of God, we're concerned with, with the mission of God. And we know what the mission of God is. It, it, if we know Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it's to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. If you, if you know the basics of the church, you know those are the marching orders of the church. That's what Jesus told us to do, and he left us with that command, and that's what we're supposed to carry out and live out each and every day. But... This is a discovery from this year. I hadn't thought about this connection until, until this year, and it's just kind of been occurring to me over and over and over again. We know the what of our mission to make disciples. But how often do we focus on the how? The great commandment is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus says the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. Of the one and other commandments that fill the New Testament, so many of them over and over again say, love one another. And this is, I want to just, I want to bring it home here to talk about goodwill towards God and loving God and offering to God sacrifices consistent with his will and with his commandment. When we know him and we see him as he is, we realize that he moved first and he loved us and we love him in return, right? God gave his very best. He sent his son that that we might have union with him, that we might know that God is satisfied with us and that we might know that he's working for his goodwill. And then we say, but how how do I work How do I live in a way that's consistent with the will of God? And how do I work for God's good? This is it. Jesus says, love one another. Love one another. Do good to all, Paul says, speaking for Jesus. By this, John 13, 35, will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's it. The, the motive or the, the response, the, the engine that, that ought to be bursting inside of us as we say, I have, I have faith in the truth and, and I believe who God is to me in the present because of what he's done for me in Christ. And I have hope and expectation for the future of what God will do for me because of Christ. I, I believe and I, I hope. What then do I do in the present? I Love, those whom God has placed in my path each and every day. When there are 26 people ahead of you in the express lane at Walmart, and not one of them has less than 20 items in their cart, and you are like, I just despise everything, we're called to will God's good and his benefit in that moment and to love. Now listen, I just want, I want, to, I want to close this down. We're going to pray. It is 1140. Those of you who you're like, you call this your church home, as, as Tiff said, you know this is like a Christmas miracle. <laughs> 20 minutes before 12. The majority of the, of the commandments, the one another commandments in the New Testament are love one another. 
But we are called, Romans 13 says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Uh, it, is, it is the debt that can never be paid off, right? You get, you get a bill perhaps every month for something that you own, whether it's, it's your car. You, know, you don't actually own it, right? The bank owns it. The bank owns your car. The bank owns your house. And you get that mortgage bill, right? You will get those bills from every single person in your life For the rest of your life, you never pay off your responsibility to love others. Ever. Ever. And it's not just like, yeah, I don't like them, but I have to love them. Right? It's it's moving to the place where you're like, I I want to be with this person. I enjoy them. I'm satisfied with them. And I want to will their good. That's how we love God. No man can say that he loves God. God if what? He hates his brother. We cannot offer anything to God. But we can love others and we can offer God to one another. We can love others the way that we have been loved by God. We can love others with a love consistent with the commands of God. And that is our mission and how we honor him. If we look to the Lord Jesus, church, and we say that is the example of the love of God, coming into the world, born in humble circumstances, taking the burden of suffering and pain upon himself for all of our good, then we will follow him in the same way, humbling ourselves, becoming servants to others, and loving them. We're going to pray and sing, and then we are going to be off on our mission. Our mission is to love one another in grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and kindness. We thank you that you loved us in Jesus. That you sent your son to die for us when we were unworthy. That because of the the richness of your love towards us, because of your grace and mercy, not because of any value in us, you sent your son. Now we might think, oh, I have no value. No, the good news is because you don't love us based on anything valuable in us, it will never change. You will never leave. You will never forsake. You will always be there. You will always love. You will always be kind. We thank you for that. We change, but you do not. We pray that you would help us as we encounter family and friends, people we have history with, people that we might like, but not, we might not like, but we have to love, people that we might love, but not like. Father, we pray that we, you would help us to show Jesus to them, to be kind, to speak words of truth. We pray that you do great and mighty things through your people this holiday, Lord, because you have done great and mighty things for us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together as we close.